0: Welcome to Accounting High. Hey, professional accountants, it's time for you to hold yourself accountable. You have to actually step your game up. And I think for a lot of accountants, since they've never gone through that humbling process, I find that a lot of times they're not delivering the best value to the business owners because one of the things that I, I, I definitely, you know, from that humility, instead of hating it and looking down on it, Just take notes. I'm constantly learning from so many different people that are ahead of me, whether it's in creating content, whether it's even how I'm approaching my firm, because I watch a lot of the stuff that you guys put out um, and listening. So I'm taking notes. So, yeah, you guys keep up the great work, man. Grow,
1: grow, grow, grow. Broke, broke marketing it's Thursday we going advertise and chat on Thursday at accounting high and branding talk is Thursday and we' going help you social post so you're in first place it's time for social studies accounting content hub LinkedIn marketing or X so come join our social club is it Twitter is it X Shit now I can't keep up so comment follow love if you're into social studies it's time for social studies accounting content hub LinkedIn marketing or X so come join our social club is it Twitter is it X Shit now I can't keep up so comment follow love if you're into social studies, welcome back accounting high. Now it's time for social studies. We'll teach you new creative ways to market old product. Move beyond basics with graph and stats. Some stud you love position like lower and you learn it's not all luck. Oh wait, now it all changes. SEO down, IG up. ICX meta, TikTok. Hey, LinkedIn, Roman V up. If you watch how they post, you'll see it's all authentic and genuine. Grow up following and don't get held back by perfection. Be intentional online. Create content. Now that's hot. Strategy is key with social media and pods. Start slow. Pick up Platform, stick to it and go post make a plan to engage with client watering holes create a focus brand be a lead online it's a digital world with the best roi now create your own ideal client persona let's go keyword accounting high and get ready to play. it's time for social studies accounting content hub linkedin marketing or x so come join our social club is it twitter is it x shit now i can't keep up so comment follow love if you're into social studies it's time for social studies accounting content hub linkedin marketing or x so come join our social Club. is it twitter is it x Shit. now i can't keep up so comment follow love if you're into social studies follow this show stay in the know thought lead online through networking like share repost subscribe youtube comment engage create find your way
0: introducing the star of our show
2: scott scarano and terrell turner
0: we're gonna have a problem here hey thanks for having me man man
2: thanks for joining me so tell us how you got started in this you know just in as an accountant as a cpa tell us a little bit about the background. yeah
0: so i mean i i got started probably you know i got my taste of what accounting and finance and business could be probably when i was in high school i was one of those students that I didn't really love school. I did well enough to, so I can stay on the football team and stay on the soccer team. And so my parents wouldn't yell at me. I really wasn't as concerned about all the other subject matters. Math was a little interesting, but I actually took a basics of accounting and banking class when I was in high school. And I was like, this seems actually relevant to life. Like, let me pay more attention to this. So when I went to college, I knew like, hey, I want to do something in business. And I figured, you know, what area would give me the chance to learn as much about business to see kind of behind the scenes how things really work. And accounting was that that, that way because I heard someone say, hey, if you don't understand the language of accounting, you don't understand business. So I'm like, OK, accounting is where I'm going to go. And, you know, started studying that route, did a couple internships when I was in school and ended up getting recruited by the University of Notre Dame for their Masters of Accounting program. Got accepted, um, but ran into the same problem that many people go to is, I saw the bill of how much it cost to go there. and was like, okay, that's not gonna happen. It's like, I'm a first generation. <laughs> and you didn't get a football scholarship to go yeah, there? Yeah, and it's like, and I was trying to go for grad school. So I was like, yeah, um, I'm glad you guys accepted me, but I can't afford you. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, uh, And so- <laughs> But you went. So I still still, went because, you know, like a week, like actually two weeks after I got accepted to Notre Dame, Ernst & Young reached out to me and they were recruiting me for their audit practice. And they told me they have this program where they can pay for grad school, but they only work with two schools. They work with UVA and Notre Dame. And I was like, bet, I already got accepted. And so, (laughs) and the managing partner knew I had gotten accepted, which is one of the reasons he wanted oh. to recruit me to where, because I didn't even apply to Ernst & Young because, I mean, I went to a small undergrad school. Most people who graduated from there did not go into Big Four accounting. So it wasn't even on my radar. They found me. They paid for me to go to school, and I started off in public accounting, and that's how I got, that's how I got started.
2: <laughs> sure, sure, sure. So you still got some loyalties that lie with EY because EY was the
0: reason you got to ND. I guess I will say I'm not necessarily, I wouldn't necessarily say I have loyalties to EY. I have respect for EY and appreciation, but Mm -hmm. I really don't. I'm not saying that like, oh man, EY over all others, because even in just meeting so many different friends that work for the different firms, there is so much, especially when it comes down to audit, because I mean, audit really isn't so much controlled by the firm as it is the standards. So, I mean, everybody that I talked to that went audit. Whether it was big four or whether it was regional firms, their experiences seem to be somewhat similar. So you mentioned
2: accounting's the language of business, and I know I'm, I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but I feel like because you're fluent in that language, you're using that to to preach, to talk. To I mean, you got how many different net podcasts on your network, or how many different pla- like how many different Mediums, do you? I don't even know what I'm trying to ask here. Tell me about the Business Talk Library.
0: Yeah. So, the Business Talk Library, I mean, we got the Business Talk Library interviews where I'm really talking, focusing more on entrepreneurs. Then, we got the law and finance show where I'm talking with law firms and law firm related businesses. We got the food and finance where I'm talking to people in the food related industries. My wife does charlando Negocios because she's fluent in four languages. Spanish is one of those, so she does that one in Spanish. I am not fluent in any other language other than English, so I don't even touch that. That's all her. And then I started doing one recently called Church Law and Finance with a law firm, one of my clients, because we just kept seeing non nah for profits and churches really mess things up on the administrative side. So... That one, we hop on, we do kind of like a weekly live where we talk about, you know, a legal or finance issue that we've seen for like churches and not for profits and just say, hey, here's some general context to help you avoid this issue. So we started that one. I'm trying to think, are there any more? And then there's one that I do called, you know, finance and finance for business owners, where that one's a little more towards your growth stage businesses, where some people reach out and ask me some a little bit more advanced questions about finance for a growing business. I deal with that there. And then the finance and accounting show is where I get a chance to talk to other finance and accounting firm owners, kind of software providers. I mean, that one is there is a little bit of a selfish benefit that I get out of that one is I get to learn from my peers of what they're doing. At the same time, I give them a platform to kind of perfect their messaging to an audience because most people aren't just always lining up to hear from a an accountant. So mm-hmm. it gives them a chance to kind of perfect and fine-tune their message. So all of those shows we're doing all of those concurrently.
2: <laughs> well. I got a lot of selfish reasons for why I do this and it's pretty much the same thing. I mean, I do want to move the industry forward. I want to have conversations with people that seem to be have their head in the right place and are positioned to be looking forward and embracing the change and learning. So, but one thing that kind of jumps out at me here is like it's it's almost like everything that you have an interest in and that you want to talk more about, you were able to spin that up into a topic that you can turn into a pod like you've got, in a way, I, this is a reality show where I do a lot of that within one feed, <laughs> one RSS feed, you've got seven different feeds that you're running it all out into, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's one of those things I learned from like, just spending so much time on the business side of my firm of just understanding marketing and messaging. And as we kind of evolved, and I thought about, you know, who are the different types of clients that I want? And so I started thinking about the mainstream clients that we bring on, like law firms, restaurants, you know, we have some not-for-profit organizations, and then also some entrepreneurs and business owners It's like, how do I create a channel that is just for them? So when they go there, they know that they're going to get, this is their channel. Like Terrell does a lot of stuff, but hey, here's my channel within the Terrell network.
2: You got a business mind and you're looking at this from a sense of not entertainment, but education, right? Is that, yep. understand that correctly. And that's a big difference, honestly, with mine and with anybody else that's doing it is that's where I can't draw the correlation. Cause I keep trying to make this entertaining and not necessarily <laughs> educational now. I'm like, you know, so, so some episodes might be a little bit more educational than others, but in the most cases I'm trying to just keep it entertaining, you know, I'm
0: trying to keep everybody's ear. So how do you find your guests? Yeah, so some of it is a mix. Like in the beginning, it was, you know, when we didn't have a name, nobody knew us. We didn't have any history. It was, I was more so focused on entrepreneurs. And I'm like, okay, I'll talk to any entrepreneur who will hop on, have a conversation with me. And over time, as we started getting a little bit more of a reputation, then, you know, I started focusing on like, hey, What about the head of like the business development centers, you know, in North Carolina? I invited them on and then I said, hey, do you know any other business I should probably sit down and talk to? So they started introducing me to people in their network. Then I got in touch with the one of the administrators for like the Charlotte Angel Investing Fund, like had him on the show. And I'm like, hey, are there any other entrepreneurs that you guys are looking at deals that I should probably talk to. And I just really started growing it kind of organically like that mm-hmm. until we got to a point where now and then people started reaching out to us like, hey, I think this person would be great to be on the show.
2: Oh, I get that too. So are you, are you charging people to be on some of these shows now too?
0: Yeah, so right now we are not char- – I'm usually not charging people to be on the show. Now what I have charged some people is – like I tell them, like, hey, when we record this interview, it'll probably be a month. At some points, it was like a month and a half before it would air, just because of the backlog. And yeah. they were like, "Well, how much would it cost to speed it up?" Like, oh, uh, um, and they right. offer
2: you. They're just like, "Yeah, yeah." I've, I had that happen once or twice too, and I, I didn't even budge. I was like, "No, I'm not gonna mess with my schedule." <laughs> but I, I like that though. That's that's interesting. So you've you found ways to monetize this content in a in a couple of different ways. So who are you learning from? Like what were some some of your inspiration for starting a lot of this, this stuff?
0: Yeah, so I think one of my biggest ones was Gary Vaynerchuk. My wife came across some of his videos and this was like back before I like, but even before I started the shows, like I started doing like some explainer video, like some 60 second videos explaining like a finance concept. But prior to that, I was like, hey, I had like probably back in like 2016, uh, I had started just, you know, vlogging down my thoughts or whatever. Sure. And I was fine with that for a few years. And my wife came across Gary Vaynerchuk. He was talking about, you know, doing video format. My wife was like, oh, we should do video. I was like, nah, I don't want anything to do with that. <laughs> and, you know, we went back and forth. And I'm like, all right. All right, I'll do it, but give me some time. And so literally, like, for, like, two weeks straight, I would come home from work. I would literally go into the basement of my house, set up a camera, and just practice. And it was Horrible. I mean, it was awful.
2: <laughs> oh, Tell me about it. I've been practicing my rap recently, and it is horrible. Doing anything solo is so hard, too. Like the the inflection in your voice and just showing emotion to nobody, and just trying yeah. to talk by yourself to a camera is difficult. I can definitely empathize with that. I've been in a lot of different ways, I'm I I can't even do it. Like, and so I, I love to be on with people, though. That's that's usually where I get my energy and I get the right cues, the social cues, you know, you can pick up on what other people are, how are they reacting to. But if you're doing it by yourself, you got nothing. You got no feedback, right? Yeah. Where's the feedback loop? So yeah.
0: how did you get better? So, I mean, I just kept practicing. I mean, like I said, for those two weeks, I just sat in front of a camera, you know, I set up my phone up and I just went to work and like, all right, I don't like that. I'd even, I didn't even let her see the first 10 because they were that bad, And I just like kept at it. So from 2018 to 2020, I was doing all solo videos. And I probably did maybe, you know, what 380 pieces of content in that time frame, just straight solo. So then whenever we traveled, like I would take my phone and a tripod with me and like a $15 lapel mic, plug it up. I would set up somewhere and then just shoot a video on something, whether it was talking about, hey, a book review on some of the business books I was reading or talking about a concept that I was working on or something. And I did that for like two years. And then I was like, you know what? I'm seeing a lot of people as I look at, you know, some of the top rated podcasts. Most of them are not like just one person sitting in front of a camera and talking unless it's something like politics or something like that. But most of the business podcasts are typically somebody having a conversation with someone else. So when I started the business in 2020, I was like, you know what? I'm going to add that element of talking to someone else. <laughs> You're going to add and a person
2: so- <laughs> to, these, to these videos, right? <laughs> yeah.
0: I didn't realize. I mean, and I think because I had built up my stamina from doing videos solo To when I started doing conversations with other people, I was like, oh my gosh, this is so much easier.
2: (laughs) Is it? So, but it's, it's also still a bit of a pivot. Like it's still a shift in how you're structuring the conversation too. Was it, did you notice that it was a bit different obviously than doing yourself or did you just fit in like a glove?
0: No, it, it would, it definitely did take a shift. I mean, from really just having to learn the learn the guest and I think for myself is like I went back to you know watching Larry King videos like and watching like Oprah Winfrey like old school Oprah Winfrey is it's like how did she approach her interviews because this was like a number one show during her prime so I'm Mm -hmm. like I studied how did they interview people and how did they bring out the best in their guest And that did take some time. I mean, that took me maybe about six months to really start getting really, really comfortable as a host, because it is different when you go from just being you and the camera, you got to bring all the energy, you got to bring all the excitement to where now you got to kind of share that with the with the person you're on, because you don't want to overshadow them, but you do want to fill in the gaps. And it does, it took me some time to figure that piece out. I still haven't figured it out. I still haven't figured it out. I'm I, I'm getting there. I I didn't
2: do my my homework. I didn't study anything. I was just like, man, I'm I'm just more like a Conan O'Brien. Like I'm just gonna feel whatever, and I don't care. That's not that's not the right way to think. But that's like you know the difference between Conan and some of these other hosts is he'll just do anything, and then he'll talk over people too because he's the it's part it's his show along with anything else. Sometimes when you watch his show, you watch it for him too, not so much the guests. But you know you mm. turn on some of these others, maybe like Jimmy Fallon. I love Jimmy Fallon, but he's a great host he's a gracious host you know I think he's he's a good one And the example of the some that are like more current and yeah so what are some of the things you learned from studying Oprah and studying Larry King
0: yeah I think from studying Oprah one of the things that I learned was her ability to really focus in the attention on the guest and and I think that doing a little bit of homework beforehand because one of the things that I saw when I listened to a lot of people's podcasts I would have guests on, like you listen to it and you can tell that person knows absolutely nothing about the person they're talking to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, is,
2: that is true. How do you learn when you do your homework? Do you have a conversation with the person? Do you like when or do you study something before? How do you tell me about that? Tell me about how you're currently doing your research.
0: Yeah. So beforehand, what I would do um, is when I was still kind of developing my skill, I would spend some time like looking at what they posted on social media. So some of my guests that I was inviting on were people that all had content on social media. Like if the person didn't have content on social media, I knew, okay, I'm either going to have to find time to have a conversation with them first, Mm -hmm. or this may not be a good fit for now. And so, I really focused on people that I could actually you know do some, look at if they had something on YouTube or if they had something on LinkedIn even if they had you know almost no followers just looking at a little bit about their background and at least having like you know two to three things or that they had done that at some point if the conversation started to go a little cold, I could then go back to one of those three things that they had done like. Hey, I saw on your, you know, your website that you recently did such and such. Tell me about that. You know, how did that happen and how did that feel? And start getting and when I started asking them those type of questions about something they felt very, very comfortable with, then you would see them start to open up a little bit more. Then I'm just like, "Now we can go back into some of the other topics" cuz I had no idea how nervous other people would be to be right. on camera <laughs> right
2: right yeah like you have a conversation with somebody in the second the report you hit the record button tense freeze <laughs> like they don't even sometimes they'll, they'll run around and you know what honestly i still do it too and i don't know if it's nervous or if it's excitement or if it's anxiety or if it's everything kind of blended together right i like to try to reframe nervous as excitement and then I'll start rambling too much. I listen to myself on other podcasts and it's it's like I'm I'm critiquing it in, in a lot of different ways too. So I get it. And and also like the editing process, at least for f- for you, how do you approach that editing process? How did you do that in the beginning?
0: Man, it was a nightmare. It was uh, it, it probably led to more arguments between my wife and I than we needed to have during okay. the time <laughs> because we figured out editing ourselves. Like, so we used to edit everything internally. And in going through it, I think there are some times she dreaded it. I dreaded the editing process. And we used a program called Camtasia because it was easier for us to learn. My wife looked at Adobe Premiere and, and I told her, I was like, honestly, that looks great. But it looks like it is a huge learning curve because I've heard that's what they use in Hollywood. If you go to Adobe Premiere... I am not editing anything else. You're going to have to do it all yourself. And she was like, nah, it's not worth it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. we stuck with a simple platform. And I mean, just like it, it was probably it, starting off. It used to take us maybe like an hour to an hour and a half per, you know, per piece, you know, per episode. Per half but, hour, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and so, so, you know, in, in doing that, One of the things that I went back to, because I mean, part of my career, I worked for General Electric and I remember all the Lean Six Sigma trainings and the processes. And so I just started breaking it down to a process like, what if I had to train somebody else to do this? What would I do? And as I started approaching the editing that way and was like, okay, all right, here's how we're going to do the intro. And as I started doing that, I started learning more about being a host, like, man, If I stop doing this, then we don't have to edit that out in the the post-production. So I just learned to become a better host and really tweaking things to where our hour and a half went down to 45 minutes, and then we got it down to 30 minutes, and then we got it down to 15 minutes to edit an episode. And then I was like, hey, how do we get this thing down to five? And my wife was like, that's too aggressive. I'm like, nah, it can be done. And we got it down to eight minutes. And wow. so it's like, it. at one point, it was taking us only eight minutes to edit a episode. And part of that was just learning how to arrange how the control, how the conversation was going. And that required me to get better as a host to be able to do that.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, you, you put your feet to the fire, too, because you did. So how many podcasts were you doing a day at? At, I mean, how many are you doing t- a day now these days versus <laughs> last last year? I guess start the run. Talk about the run-up and how many you were doing you
0: know, in a day or a week last so year. So I would say probably like 2020, I, the peak of 2020. So like in like kind of Q3, Q4, 2020, there were days where I was filming like six a day
2: mm-hmm.
0: of just I block off Tuesdays and Thursdays. And at one point, I remember looking at my calendar, and it was like 10 interviews scheduled for the, you know, that week that I needed to film. And so that's kind of the pace that I was doing. And we kept that probably to about Q2 of 2021. And that's when, like, we started seeing more and more clients come in to where I'm like, okay, all right, I can't do 10 interviews a week. I got to cut this back some. And by that point, we had built up enough backlog because when you're filming 10 a week and we were only releasing an episode a day to where it's just like you started building up a pretty healthy backlog. So that now I probably film maybe about four a week um, is about how much I'll do now. Okay. Okay. And you comfortable with that? That's like, that's sustainable too. Cause that's still a lot, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. It is. And and I would say, I mean, for me is, I think because I've done so many, like, and I'm looking back to 2020, I was looking at some of the numbers and I think we filmed, over. I filmed over what 500 and I think it was like 87 interviews since 2020. And at this point, I kind of really got my rhythm to where I don't need to do as much homework before going in. And part of that is also like when people schedule, there's a couple of questions that I ask them in there. So I'm kind of getting them to do the homework for me when they answer those questions. Sure. So that's freeing up more of my time. Plus, we're using a a platform called Streamline, I mean, StreamYard. So I can actually play the intro when and the outro while we're actually filming and recording. Cuts so all of that time. is done live.
2: <laughs> yeah. Cuts down on editing time too. So they say to be a master at something, you got to do it for 10,000 hours. It sounds like you're on your way to get to being the pod master or the <laughs> content master, right? I mean, you're... You you might be halfway there in this small <laughs> period of time. You might be. It's hard to get to the 10,000 hours in that short period of time, but that's like you put your feet to the fire, right? So um, let's, let's pivot a little bit to the firm, too, because we can't make this all about the content. We still got to talk about some accounting. So you got your CPA in 2020?
0: My CPA license I've had since like 2014, but the oh, firm, okay. yes. The it started in 2020. The firm started in 2020.
2: Firm started 2020. So since you, you got the firm now, give us an idea of the size of the firm, how many employees, who works there, what do you guys do there? Yeah,
0: yeah. so as far as the firm goes, I mean, we. Dec- I decided to go a route of using contractors. So I actually partnered with two other firms that solely focus on bookkeeping. Mm-hmm. And so one firm has, they have three bookkeepers in their firm that I have access to. And so they handle some of my clients. And then the second firm, they have what, three bookkeepers in their firm as well. Mm-hmm. And so what I do is, as we bring on clients, right now I have what, like what, I think when I was looking at the numbers, we have what, 21 bookkeeping clients. And then <laughs> I have some CFO clients that I handle directly. I have about five of those. Okay. So for the 21 bookkeeping clients, I divide the work between those two partnering firms and then I kind of create training manuals for their people to handle it. So I guess you could say from a contractor standpoint, I have access to six people that are handling the bookkeeping and they still have some capacity for more. And then like I said, the five clients I handle directly from a CFO standpoint. And then I also have a virtual assistant that's working on kind of the marketing and helping with some of the outreach taking some of that stuff off my plate cool
2: okay so and that so does your wife um, handle any of the
0: accounting or anything at the firm too she does some. Now, my wife is still working. I mean, she's, she's a finance director at Honeywell. So okay. she still has a, a pretty a job. demanding job. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> on she top of helps all the editing <laughs> and everything else
2: that she's doing at, at home. Cool, cool. Yeah. And
0: so her role is a little bit more kind of, she spends a little bit more on the marketing because, you know, I hired some contractors to handle the distribution. So she's kind of just coordinating the schedule of, hey, here, these are the episodes that are going to go up here, here, and here. Here are some of the ads we're going to run. And then it's just like hand the schedule off to the contractors and let the contractors execute it so she can be more of the strategic mind behind it and not the actual person that's executing.
2: Cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it sounds like y'all got a good partnership in business and in life too. So shout out to Lola. So... You've got capacity as far as your bookkeepers, they, you say they have capacity. How about your capacity?
0: Yeah, so my capacity, I, I probably, that's one of the things that I've been looking at a little bit more this year because some of the CFO projects that I've done, I've, I've instead of converting them to just being an all-out project, I've converted them to to more of kind of like a monthly recurring or some like a weekly recurring That way, it's a little bit more scheduled and less, hey, this issue just popped up. Let me get on the phone and call Terrell. So that's really helped, like, really streamline kind of my capacity. And Mm -hmm. I would probably say if I had to take on more CFO clients, I can probably take on up to, I'd say probably up to eight to really handle well. And so I probably have capacity, like, for three more clients now. Two of the clients are about to roll off, so that opens up a little bit more capacity. But at the moment, I think we're probably within the next you know, three to four months, we're looking to bring on a financial analyst to kind of help take more of that off my plate as well.
2: Oh, wow. All right. And that's, that's somebody else on the payroll then, too. Is that right? Or would it be a contractor?
0: No. So that one, I'm looking to hire that one, someone to be on the payroll. Okay. Okay. And that, that's interesting
2: too, that you're, that you've able to take these finance and CFO relationships and put them on a cadence and recurring. So is it recurring billing as well? Yes. Okay. So how do you handle that? You just give them a price up front or how did you determine the price for some of those engagements?
0: Yeah. So for some of them we did, we started off with like a, a upfront project. So let's say for like, for someone that want, we, you know, we talked they wanted a financial model cuz they wanted to kind of understand be able to project say okay all right it's going to be about 7 grand for us to build that model that you want with all the drivers and everything we build out the model in the process of doing that there's a ton of questions that I'm that I'm asking because I got to be able to plan it into the model mm-hmm. well in the process of doing that I kind of know how much time is going to take me to answer future questions, because I'm already asking a ton of those as I'm building the model. So at that point, then I can discuss with them and say, hey, for ongoing support, here's what the price will be. So here's your price for me to build the model. I'll build it in a way. If you want to go work with someone else, I mean, and which is interesting because I've even had some accounting firms reach out to me and say, hey, our clients need like a dashboard or a model. Can you build it? Can you build a white label version for us? And I'm like, sure, we'll build it, hand it back to you guys, and then you can work with your client. You know, you can offer it as a product to your client. So I think we, we decided to separate the modeling or the upfront project from the ongoing, And what I make sure is that we get enough information while we're doing the project where they are paying like, you know, a variable price. Mm -hmm. So when we get done with that, we can set a profitable price for the ongoing that makes sense for them and makes sense for us.
2: Well. I know you listened to our Nick's tips and you, you threw a lot of P words in there. And I don't know if that was intentional. Did you through project, profitability, pricing, processes? We, we got a lot of, you're covering a lot of ground here. This is good. Yeah. Projects though. And the project work, we, we, go, we go deep into that. So that's, gotcha. that's pretty cool. So um, what, can, tell me about some of the tools that you're using for these, for the mo- financial modeling and other yeah. tools that you're using within your own purpose. I mean, we, I know the podcast tools. Now let's hear the firm tools.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, starting off, we used to do a ton of stuff in Excel for, you know, whether they were using, you know, QuickBooks or whether they were using Xero or whether they're using some other accounting system. And even for the, their ERP side, like, let's say they're, if it's a law firm, their law firm management, the marketing agency, their agency management, their CRM of just Excel was a great place to just consolidate all the data. And really test, all right, how are we going to design this model? Because it was very flexible. And what we found to be a great scalable way of doing it is then transitioning over to Google Sheets. Because they're going to see real-time updates. And by that point we can get it to the point, by that point, we have things down, a process down for how to update different stuff to where I can even have some of my contractors update certain features. And so those features are being updated by a contractor. I'm going in, I'm reviewing it, and the client can see their real-time update to where It even cut down on the number of phone conversations that I need to have with them because the data's already, their answer has already been built into the model. So we started using, you know, we started using Google Sheets and then we started using um, a tool called LiveFlow where we're pulling for a lot of the clients that are on QuickBooks, we're pulling their financial data directly from QuickBooks directly into a Google Sheet. We programmed all the formulas to where there's some clients. Really, I don't really need to touch the analysis anymore. I just open it, click refresh. The new data comes in, and then I can spend my time looking at the trends and then having the conversation with them.
2: I am no stranger to Liveflow. Shout out to Liveflow, one of our sponsors. I wasn't trying to lead you there, but you brought it up anyway. <laughs> that's pretty cool. Even Nicole started using them too. So that's that's pretty cool. How about so your primary GL from for your clients, are they on mostly QuickBooks like the rest of the world? Or
0: yeah, most of them are on QuickBooks. I mean, I'm finding, especially like as I'm working with more and more lawyers, I'm finding that there must have been like there it must have been like a few people who have like created this how to start a law firm. And QuickBooks <laughs> must be the thing that they recommend. <laughs> I think it's everybody, though. Like,
2: in, in my little bubble, I was using Zero, And I thought maybe the rest of the United States was, to a large degree, I thought they would be using Zero because it was the cloud platform that worked back in, like, 2012, 2013. thirteen. I'm find out now, as I start to talk to more and more people in the industry, like, Gosh, like only five percent of the markets using zero, <laughs> right? Maybe t- maybe eight percent. I don't even know. But most everybody uses QuickBooks, and I think that's just like a product of it's easy, right? Like it's very very friendly for the business owner. So you know, I think having a concise tech stack that works with the GL, um, especially if you're going deep into a niche and a vertical, like with law firms, you know, you kind of want to be using the same tools across the board and not have to shift context, shift and learn more things. I mean, tell me a little bit about that. Do you, uh, it sounds like you got a vertical, like you have a podcast associated with different business types or cart before the horse egg before the chicken or chicken before the egg. Like how did you start these uh different verticals or, Dishes.
0: Yeah, I, mean, I think it was just, you know, at the time when you're when you first start off and you're just beating the streets to try to get do business with anybody who would do business with you. I mean, that's just the normal process is anybody who will say yes to your services. And then you start finding out what well, everybody who says yes to my services either can't afford to pay me or just isn't paying me. So then you get smarter about, OK, all right, people who will say yes, that can afford to pay me and that will pay me. And then I think after I kind of got through that third level and was like, okay, all right, what are some of the things that I'm finding that are pretty repeatable? And when I started looking at some of the law firms that I was working with, I'm like, a lot of them have some of the same problems. I can create processes that I can then train the, the contractors to do which frees up more of my time because I'm like if there's a if we can create a process, we can scale it and we can make it more profitable. Because mm-hmm. if you can't create a process behind it, your only path to profitability is just raising the price. There's no efficiency there if you can't create a process.
2: You're killing it with the peas, the <laughs> path to profitability, raising the price, <laughs> killing it. Man, I'm going to have you come on with Nick's, too. This
0: is great. So so I think for me, when I started looking at it, I was like, law firm supporting law firms tend to be one of the easier ones to create consistent processes for. So yeah. that was one that I found. And then when it came down to a couple of restaurants that I work with, most restaurants in general are going to have some uniqueness to them. But I started seeing a pattern in some of the processes to where I'm like, OK, all right, those two really good at processes. And then I started looking at agency because I'm working, doing, starting to grow like our insurance agency line of business, working sure. with a couple, couple insurance agencies. And I'm realizing, yeah, their processes are pretty similar. And I'm pretty excited about the insurance agencies because. So you what got a I podcast find, for insurance agents now too? I'm probably not going to do a podcast for (laughs) that. I'll probably just invite insurance agents onto the finance and accounting, and we'll just talk about finance there. (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
2: So, and it sounds like you got the marketing down. That's the hardest thing for a lot of accounting firms. Um, Mm -hmm. Always is is talking to people and marketing and getting yourself out there. And and you're doing things that are very difficult, like for a lot of accountants is reaching out to people. You don't know to have come on your show or to do, to talk to you and not even just to sell them something, but to get them in front of a camera and to put them on uh, in front of the mic. You know, some people are not comfortable with that either. So that's um, a unique skill set that you're going to be able to consult on as well. What are some places you use to hire
0: where did you where did you find your VA? A ton of people reached out to me, and I forget the name of the company. Virtue Desk, that yeah, Virtue Desk is is the company that she works for. They reached out to me. They set up some interviews. I interviewed a couple people. I brought her on part time, gave her some tasks, and then I also laid out like, hey, here are some of the tasks. Here's what success kind of looks like. Here are the numbers you need to hit. She started exceeding those. And I'm like, you know what, I can probably give her more and then brought her on full time after about like two months, brought her on full time. And she's like, you know, knocking it out the park.
2: Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So now she's that's that's like part of your team now. What does what is her role, I guess, as far as you you call it virtual assistant, but what else is she doing?
0: Yeah, so when it comes down to the marketing strategy, one of the things that I realized, like with getting guests on the show, like we have a ton of people who reach was out. She to us. the one who
2: emailed me. Somebody e- emailed me recently yes. to be on your show, and I was like, "Well, he's already scheduled to be on mine. Is this something different?" Like, so how did how did she find me to ask me? Because it sounded like that there was no like she's finding these people on her own, maybe or what? what was well, the... so
0: so what I started off with is at first I I you know. I I spoke at a couple of conferences and I said, hey, I want, this is a new task I want you to start doing. Here's one idea of finding people is I looked at what are some major accounting conferences. Look at the people who were speakers there. These Ah. are probably good people to have. And then look at some of the, make a list of some of the top accounting and finance podcasts. Whoever hosts those shows, They're probably comfortable with being on camera and being on these are some good hosts. And I gave her some of those kind of, you know, direction. And so she just took those ideas and ran with it. So she, you know, looked at some of the top podcasts and she was like, hey, here's my list. And then I looked at it and was like, oh, shoot, I forgot to tell you which ones I've already been on. So I was yeah. like, let me make a second list of all the shows I've been on. So then she can compare, okay, all right, you've been on that person's show. And some of them, I I, I didn't get all like the future shows that I'm going to be on. Dude, um, yeah. But yeah, so after I gave her that contact, she ran with it.
2: That's great advice too. They're probably going to find the same people that you would have found in the first place anyway and doing all the hard work of finding guests. I mean, I'm still doing that myself. I need to shift gears here and and learn (laughs) from you a little bit more. This is awesome. (laughs) What do you spend most of your time? Which socials do you um, spend most of your time?
0: So I would say I probably spend most of my time on LinkedIn. I'm I'm starting to- You're almost closing
2: in on 10,000 followers on LinkedIn. It's pretty dope. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, By the it's time always this is
2: released, it'll be 10,000 for
0: sure. <laughs> you know, it's always very interesting to think like before I started creating content, like back in March of 2020, I was at like maybe 3000 connections on yeah. LinkedIn to where it's like when I started creating content, the word really got out. And, and I think, you know, at first it started to build slowly. But over time, the word really, really got out, and more people to where I'm always humbled when I see that number it's like, man, there's almost ten thousand people who actually pay attention to, and maybe not a hundred percent of those people are constantly watching, but there's a good number of people who are paying attention to the stuff you're doing like yeah. it, it's very humbling, <laughs> it's crazy, I know,
2: and it's it's also humbling when you see some people with a hundred and fifty thousand followers or six hundred thousand <laughs> followers. I've seen that too. I'm like, where do these numbers come from? Like, <laughs> yeah. Do you got any big goals for the firm too? Any any like milestones that you feel like you're gonna hit or that you're going toward?
0: Yeah. So one of my my goals, you know, operationally, it's to bring on a bring on a financial analyst, and I think. The structure that I want to go with is building up kind of law firm vertical to where I have an analyst dedicated to that, build up the restaurant vertical where I have an analyst dedicated to that and build up the insurance vertical to where building out the business that way to where there's an analyst that's in charge and they have enough businesses under their belt to where they can handle a portfolio and learn across all of them. And then I can come in as needed, kind of as a senior partner on some of the deals and stuff like that, and some of the analysis. So, uh, operationally, that's a goal that I'm, I'm moving towards. And I think from a revenue standpoint, you know, what we want to get to, I think my next goal is breaking over the million dollar mark. I mean, right in, look, in our like, 2021 was like our first full year. And we did just under like 190 there. Mm-hmm. And with just the number of clients that we brought on, we're definitely on track. Even if we bring on no new clients, we're definitely on track to hit about between four to half a million if we don't bring on anybody else new. So, I mean, for us, we're really setting a revenue goal of a million. is like the next level that we want to hit. Yeah. You want to
2: try and do that profitably too. It's a, that's a tough yeah. thing about some growth is it becomes unprofitable because you're just running up, just care about the top line. And I see that all too often. That's impressive growth though, going from 20,000 to 190 to almost hitting half a million in three years. That's crazy. It sounds like you're doing it the right way and you're designing it intentionally too. It's not just happening by accident. A lot of times, some of these things, for me at least, a lot of it happened by accident, and I reverse engineered my way into making it work or making it profitable. That's the next phase for us is to get into verticals, and I'm too far gone to try to do that <laughs> intentionally now. Like we're at a million and a half, and I and now I'm trying to go into verticals. That's, uh, that's a tough thing. Yeah, to, to, I mean, uh, yeah, it it
0: definitely yeah. is because. It's one of those things I looked at. I think one of the benefits of doing the finance and accounting is, show is having so many other entrepreneurs and finance and accounting firm owners on yeah. and uh, talking to them. And many of them pointed that out about where, hey, what type, what's your target audience? Uh, we do everything. And the more that I heard that, and then I got a chance to talk to some firm owners where one of the firm owners, a firm in Canada and they're about to hire their ninetieth employee, and I said, "Okay, all right." Off camera, him and I talk, and I'm like, "Okay, all right." Let's break this down a little bit more because I need to know the that that framework. And yeah. one, of the, and he started laying it out for me. And one of the things that he did talk about was the verticals. And that same week, I ended up had doing a second interview with someone of a firm. They're nearing close to like ten million in revenue. And off camera again, I'm like, hey, let's break this down. How did you guys do that? But they did a really good job. You know, your path forward is kind of really digging a little bit deeper into your verticals. Because, Mm -hmm. and I think going back to my time at GE, I mean, if you're doing a little bit of everything, you'll never be able to really scale it because you're doing so much. I mean, if you go back to old school manufacturing, if you have to change the line every time you make a car. Your production line is going to be very slow, but if yeah. you have a line that does this type of car, a line that does this type of car, you will be able to crank them out so much faster and I'm like, you know what you know and it it does come with a sacrifice because there are some businesses that I say no to now that's revenue that I could be getting if I was just sure. focused on the top line, but I think like you said, focusing on that profitability like the verticals that we want to play in that we've we're building a niche in it's just like hey these are the type of businesses i support and if you're a different type of business hey i got some friends that work with those type of businesses let me do an introduction and hopefully that you know brings some goodwill and i get some referral sometime down the road sure sure
2: yeah i mean it's always goodwill Like, right? so yeah i want to thank terrell turner for coming on and joining me on Good Friday, listen to his content. Go to the Business Talk Library. Is it talk Library dot com? com? What's the at BusinessTalkLibrary dot com? You'll get a gateway to all of his content. Yeah. I think that's the <laughs> that's the mothership, right? And yeah. from there, there's a lot to learn. I think you're you're taking the approach of you've got a lot of this humility. If I can just kind of summarize our talk or what I've gathered from it, it's. You know, it's like the scaffolding. I think I had Ian from Carbon had said this to me once, and I and I repeated a lot. I use the term escalator. It's like we're all coming up, this, going up the same escalator, and some people are just a few a few stairs down, some people are a few stairs up, but we're all traveling to the same place. But he used scaffolding, and it's like you know, there's some people above you that are going to help you get the way there, and then there's some below you that you're going to help on the way up. But we're all just kind of working toward the same thing. And that's what that's the beauty of having these communities and having people putting out content is everything's out there for you to learn and to kind of soak in. You can take the good from the bad. You can take some tips from here and there, and you could take some tips from somebody else and make it your own. And everybody has a lot to learn about putting out good content and i think you're you're an inspiration to to a lot of us i'm humbled just to see how much you're doing and when i first saw your stuff i was like all right this is a guide <laughs> for me I'm, I'm learning too thanks for joining us we'll have to have you on again with one of my co-hosts too
0: absolutely right. man thanks for having me yeah all right Terrell, thanks
1: grow 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 Marketing, it's Thursday. We gon' advertise and chat on Thursday. At Accounting High and Branding Talk is Thursday. And we gon' help you social post so you're in first place. It's time for social studies, accounting content hub, LinkedIn marketing or X. So come join our social club. Is it Twitter? Is it X? Shit now I can't keep up. So comment, follow, love. If you into social studies, it's time for social studies, accounting content hub, LinkedIn marketing or X. So come join our social club. Is it Twitter? Is it X? Shit now I can't keep up. So comment, follow, love. If you into social studies, welcome back accounting high. Now it's time for social studies. We'll teach you new creative ways to market old products. Move beyond basics with graph and stats. Some stud you love position like Laura Lynn and you learn it's not all up. Oh wait, now it all changes. SEO down, IG up. ICX meta, TikTok. Hey, LinkedIn, Roman V up. If you watch how they post, you'll see it's all authentic and genuine. Grow up following and don't get held back by perfection. Be intentional online. Create content. Now that's hot. Strategy is key with social media and pods. Start slow, pick up. Platform, stick to it and go post make a plan to engage with client watering holes create a focus brand be a lead online it's a digital world with the best roi now create your own ideal client persona let's go keyword accounting high and get ready to it's time for social studies accounting content hub linkedin marketing or x so come join our social club is it twitter is it x shit now i can't keep up so comment follow love if you're into social studies it's time for social studies accounting content hub linkedin marketing or x so come join our social Club. is it twitter is it x shit now i can't keep up so comment follow love if you into social studies follow this show stay in the note thought lead online through networking like share repost subscribe youtube comment engage create find your way